Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Before we get to quick takes, I want to address uh, something that a caller actually brought up in the first half hour of the program. And if you missed it, by the way, Adam Carter, uh, the Adam and Jordana show, Jordana will be back tomorrow. Uh, I was talking about whether or not we react too quickly with by bringing politics or topics into a, such a tragic situation. And we had a caller, I think her name was Jennifer from Stillwater, who brought up the fact on the issue of guns and the fact that this individual in Burnsville who shot uh, these two police officers and the firefighter uh, actually applied to get legal gun ownership back. That was rejected, yet he still had a gun to commit that crime on Sunday. And our caller was bringing up the fact that uh, Keith Ellison, the attorney general, was going after Mills Fleet Farm for selling guns to a straw buyer when, in fact, Jennifer's argument was that, you know, it's the straw buyer who, who is the problem. But uh, the, I'm reading this, and this guy, Jerome Horton, and one of these guns he purchased was used in that truck park shooting. He bought t- 24 guns at Fleet Farm. And to me, I think Fleet Farm should should take some responsibility there. Mm. If one person is coming and buying 24 guns, we should have mechanisms where, like, you're putting that name into a computer and said, hmm, you're buying 24. I think that should lead to at least some follow-up from law enforcement saying, what are you buying 24 guns for? Okay, but that needs to be on legislators and lawmakers and, and police to crack down. Yeah. Like, Fleet Farm can't just make that rule on their own. Correct. Can't no, be, I get it. Fleet Farm can't yeah. say, well, 10's okay, but 12 is too many. Like, they, they right. shouldn't be the ones making that decision. Somebody else needs to make that decision yeah. and tell Fleet Farm You're right. how there many should be, Yeah, there should be a, a, at least a, a, a mechanism that says, yes. okay, if the same person is buying a number of guns, there yes. should be some intervention uh, on the part. Again, not to go take your guns away, but at least have somebody call and ask, hey, well, you know what? I'm buying these as a collector, and okay, that's fine. Yeah. But, I mean, we need all ideas on the table if we want to stop this from continuing to happen and having guns get in the hands of uh, the wrong people. Accolades continue to come in for Minneapolis's own Owamni restaurant. The acclaimed Native American restaurant has been now named among USA Today's top 47 picks for restaurants of the year in 2024. It's the only Minnesota restaurant to make the list, by the way. Adam, have you been to Owamni yet? I have not. Uh, there's a number of restaurants that I want to get to that I have not been to, uh, and that is definitely on the list. Uh, Jason can answer this, but I saw an article, I think, in the Star Tribune a couple of weeks ago about the fact that we have no Michelin-starred restaurants mm. mm-hmm. in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Michelin stars, of obviously, the Michelin group gives this Stars to the top restaurants. I think three is the most you can get. So if you see a three-star Michelin-starred restaurant, that is the top of the heap. But you think with all the great uh, food choices, great restaurants in this town, that we'd have some more Michelin stars. So come on, Michelin people. But no, uh, back to your – have you been? Uh, No, I have not yet. 
I'd like to. My uh, my family went one time, and I was unable to go with. So I just it's it's a really unique concept, yeah. I think, and done really well. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're using all like they say like pre colonial ingredients, yeah. ingredients that would have been around here two hundred years ago is a, is a pretty unique restaurant. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Wild scored a third period touchdown yesterday to top the Canucks ten to seven. That's right. The Wild scored seven third period goals, including two empty netters, one with just two seconds to play in the game to reach double digits. Adam, um, why did you not go to this game? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I never uh, got the you? ticket. Ah. Two I times I, I requested tickets, come. and I still haven't gotten. I still group, never got Nice one. group from WCCO in attendance. What was your reaction, though, when you saw that score? Well, that I was watching at score. home, yep. jealous, uh-huh. knowing that um, many of my coworkers were there. And I thought, boy, I'm glad I missed this one because this is a dog of a game. Well, again, shellacked. And then I couldn't believe it. I stopped watching, and I looked down at my phone later. I saw 10-7. to 7. I'm like, <laughs> that can't be right. That's a football score. <laughs> but, yeah, pretty exciting for, for everybody, all the fans, uh, in attendance, <clears throat> including you. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, you, it'll be interesting. Like, again, the wild. It's like, do you want them to just barely sneak into the playoffs? Or do you want them to miss the playoffs entirely and get the draft picks? It's kind of you get locked into that kind of mediocre mediocrity that you never can really get bad enough to get good. Yeah, And, I don't know, we'll see. I mean, it's... So many fans of wild hockey want to see that spring hockey. They want to go to the Stanley Cup playoffs. But yeah. if it's an effort and futility, wouldn't you rather miss out and get the high draft picks? Starbucks is out with an unusual drink. It's released only in China to mark the Lunar New Year, which just started. Uh, Adam, I'm going to let you guess. I'll give you a picture there of this new drink from Starbucks available only in China. What is that? What does that look like to you? Any ideas what's going on there? Uh, it's a small picture, but it's got like, uh, I'm going to assume the square thing that's stuck in there is some sort of like dried meat. Would I be right in saying that, uh, okay, that looks like a creamy coffee drink with a it's like kind of a reddish brown mm-hmm. square? Yeah, there's got to be some sort of uh, meat. Is it meat coffee? Is it you're, beef jerky coffee? Uh, what is it? You're, you're Closer than I wish you were, to be honest. The uh, Abundant Year Savory Latte combines braised pork sauce with espresso and mm. steamed milk and pork breast meat garnish. Oh. So that piece it's on top is like a, a small thin slice of pork. Yes. Pork uh, breast? Uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just, reading, breasts? just reading the copy, okay? Uh, again, available only in China to celebrate their Lunar New Year. Apparently, it's a little expensive, coming in at just under ten dollars. Uh, Adam, would you would you give that a shot? Would you give that? Yeah, latte I try, try it. Savory latte, sure. It has a little saltiness to the. Uh, it kind of reminds coffee. me of like uh, if you go get like a breakfast shot some somewhere. Sometimes there's like a strip of bacon, yeah. in like a breakfast drink at a bar or something. Right, so, we, yeah, it was, yeah, same kind a, of concept. Yeah, right? like Bloody Mary. You put yeah, a sure. slice of bacon in a Bloody Mary mm-hmm. or a. You know, cheese and a little beef stick. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. European Space 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 Agency has shared that the ERS two satellite, which weighs about as much as two adult rhinos, will make an uncontrolled return to Earth's atmosphere 
tomorrow. The space agency shared that most of the satellite will burn up upon reentry with some of the remaining remaining fragments hopefully falling somewhere over the ocean. Don't worry, the risks of getting hopefully. hit by space, space debris is um, 65,000 times lower than getting struck by lightning at one in a billion. Wait, now, if it's one in a billion and there's seven billion people on the planet, does that mean that seven people are going to get hit, hit with by, this satellite tomorrow? I think that's what it tells us. Now, what, it weighs as much as two rhinos? Correct. Is that what you said? Yep. That's an unusual... Way I, to describe how some, what something weighs. I agree. Two rhinos. How much? What, you what think, about one elephant? I mean, how much do you think an adult rhino it, weighs? Uh, rhino, an adult rhinoceros. I'm going to say weighs three thousand pounds. Three thousand pounds for an adult rhino. Um, googling as we go. Oh yeah, good job. An adult. Rhino weighs between 1,700 and 3,000 pounds. Yes. That's right. See, I know my rhino. Wow. I should be, that's I should be at a zoo. impressive. Uh, guess the weight of the animal. So I, You this... know, I've got, I've got a long <laughs> list. As Chad knows, I've got a long <laughs> list of hidden talents and guessing the weight think, of various animals. I think that's our next segment. Them. I'm going to tell you an animal, and you have yeah, to let's guess do it. how much they weigh. And you can text in with a, <laughs> text in an animal that you want me to yes, guess yes. what the average weight is. 651 Four six one nine two two six. Yes, I'll, it's a carnival segment next. Step right up, and I'll guess the weight of your animal. Maybe it's your cat at home. Six five one four six one nine two two six. How big is that cat of yours? I'll tell you next on CCO. <laughs> I'm pretty good at this. I, I I feel very confident about this. By the way, I nailed it. Here we go. Step right up, ladies and gentlemen. Bring your animal. Bring it up front. And uh, Adam Carter will guess the weight of your animal, no matter what it is. Thanks to our texters for coming we through. We got yeah, texters coming through. Offering up animals for By the Adam way, I to... nailed that. Is, uh, you did. In the previous segment, uh, with a male rhinoceros. And now uh, it's a top end for a male rhinoceros, but can grow up to 3,000 pounds. And I picked 3,000 pounds. So I'm going to continue to guess the weight of various animals. So text or call in 651-461-9226. Quiz me. And again, I've got no Google up here. This is absolutely 100% from the top of my head. Somebody says, okay, Marlon Perkins. <laughs> I'm more of a Jim Fowler guy. <laughs> now, you, you don't know either of those people, do you, by the uh, way? No. Marlon Perkins was the guy from Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Okay. And he was the host, but he had a guy, Jim Fowler, was the guy who'd always, you know, Oh, Jim was uh, looking uh, with a male lion. Oh, Jim, look out. He's uh, tangling now with the lion. Uh, we hope Jim is okay. Jim was always the one who got to tussle with the animals. All right, here we go. Uh, all right, up first here, uh, thanks to some of our textures. First off, how much does a <laughs> hen weigh? A hen weigh, female <laughs> chicken, a hen. Yes. I'm going to guess that a, the average hen yep. weighs uh, six pounds. Um, I think I'm going to give that to you. I'm yeah, just making up the rules of this on the fly. There was a wide, take. a wide range. If I'm in the, if I'm in the if range, you're in the range. Yep, there's ranging anywhere from three to six pounds. So a big range there, but uh, that's the high end of it. Good job. That's the, so the six pound chicken would be the biggest chicken. Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that includes like growth hormones or whatever. Probably we feed yeah, chickens like, or if that's uh, in the know, wild, but probably um, yeah. ones that are 
pounding f- full of <laughs> hormones. There's a big old chicken, I tell you what, boy. Hey, look at that chicken, man. It was six pounds. How about a bald eagle? Bald eagle. Yeah. America's bird. That's right. Uh, now, the, the males and females are vastly different. Quite different sizes, yes. No overlap in the range of the weight of a male and female. There's no, oh, there's, so there's no... Like one's markedly bigger. Is the female bigger? Correct. So let's do the female. Okay. I'm going to say that a female bald eagle weighs... Hmm. <laughs> 10 pounds. Uh, that is correct. That's on the low end. Ten, I mean, 10 to 15 pounds. <laughs> I, I, like I said, this might be my true calling, and we've discovered it together on WCCO Radio. Ten pounds for the bald eagle. Yeah, yeah. And somebody asked me about the wingspan, like six-foot wingspan, right, on a bald eagle? Uh, yeah, yeah, at least. Uh-huh. Oh, no, five and a half to eight feet yeah, so wingspan. That's, yeah, that's in the range. Thank you. <laughs> Who knows animal sizes better than I do? Oh, boy. Let me tell you. I know animals. I know the size of animals. If I had an eagle here, I'd hug it. How about a house mouse, like a common Ooh, mouse? Oh, boy. Very small. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say... Geez. In ounces. Yeah. Three ounces. Oh, God. No, that's your first one wrong. No, uh, one half to one ounce. Wow. Half of an ounce to an ounce. They're tiny little guys. How about a gray squirrel? That squirrel running around the park. Oh, yeah. Tasty, too. Mm. Uh, oh, boy. Squirrel's probably about a two-pounder, two-pound squirrel. Oh, geez. Well, it's like, See, look at this. I'm, I, it's, got bra- I started bragging. Yeah, I know, it. and you got them all wrong. That's too big, right? It's too big. It's like, like a around a pound, so 0. 0.8 pound. to 1.2. There had to have been at some point been a two-pound squirrel. Now, the, <laughs> this one. <laughs> okay, so to be clear, we're like Googling this on the fly. Okay, yeah. So the next one's hummingbird, but a hummingbird's weight is given in grams. Grams. Not ounces. Wow. Because so, I was going to say like a one-ounce well, do you know your for, uh, I don't conversion, know conversion tables? No. I, do, I do not. Uh, grams? <laughs> I'm going to say 28 grams. <laughs> 28 uh, grams is one ounce. No. Riveting radio, by the way. Yeah, it really is. Um, no, 2 to 20 grams. Anywhere from 2 grams okay, to... Okay, so slightly, probably three quarters of an ounce. Hey, knucklehead announcer, or whoever you are today, how about a flea? Oh, jeez. I can't. I don't know. Like a <laughs> one milligram? I have no idea. It's, it's probably un, unweighable. <laughs> unweighable. Uh, the average flea is, how much did you say? That's one milligram, and that's probably way too big. Ha- <laughs> it's not like even a fraction in, of a point oh three. 0.03 grams and a milligram, would it be 100 milligrams? In a gra- so that's three mil. We're really over our skis yeah, here. I don't know. I think it's three milligrams, but I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm talking about animals. That we, I, I, you don't have to try to trick okay, me. Okay, okay. B- how, how about a giraffe? Giraffe, very good one because yep. a giraffe is a big animal, it but sure not is. a lot of mass. I mean, it's very skinny legs, very long neck. I'm going to say a male giraffe, 600 pounds. 
Oh my gosh. 16 to 26. Wow. 100 pounds. I didn't think they were that big. Uh, You want to do one more? One more. One more. Okay. Another one from a caller. A Jersey cow. Cow. Jersey milk cow. Oh, that's got to be 1,200 pounds. See, I'm I'm looking it up. We're doing it in real time here. A Jersey twelve hundred cow. Well, see, I'm going to give you this, but let me let me try again. A male or female Jersey cow? Female. Okay, then females are only seven fifty to eight. I said twelve hundred pounds. It says I just Googled. It says Jersey cows have an extreme weight range between eight hundred and twelve hundred pounds. Well, I know. But- I was right. I was right. No, because there's a slot in the middle no. where there's... <laughs> 1,200 pounds, I said. <laughs> I'm the one that gets to Google and tell you how much... 1,200 pounds. I think I'm very successful. All right. Uh, yes. Who's that golfer on the... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have Very funny. Uh, thank you very much for indulging me in my uh, sudden talent. Uh, it is 1030 on News Talk 830 WCCO. Uh, we'll continue to talk about uh, the shooting in Burnsville... The paramedic who was shot and killed, firefighter, a medic, not a job that you would associate with being in the line of fire, but that person tragically died, and it it highlights the dangers of those folks, too. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to be talking to the person who uh, licenses EMTs in this state about the inherent dangers of even that job. Uh, That's coming up next. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Uh, it stands out yesterday when we started talking about the shooting in Burnsville when uh, we got some calls on the issue. Our first caller, I think his name was Bill yesterday. Bill said, hey, don't forget about Adam Finseth, who was the paramedic, the firefighter, medic, who lost his life along with two other colleagues in the police department. We we assume that, you know, f- we, we always notice that firefighters and police put their lives on the line, but we rarely think about the dangers that EMTs face. And it was pointed out in a great article by Jeremy Olson on the Star Tribune uh, talking about the, the continued dangers of people in that line of work. And we thought we'd uh, reach out to Dylan Ferguson. He's executive director of the Emergency Medical Services Regulatory Board, which licenses EMTs and medics in the state of Minnesota. He joins us now on the John Schuster Cobalt Banker Hotline. Dylan, thank you for the time. And again, uh, we always couch this wishing we could talk about uh, this topic under better circumstances. But again, what happened in Burnsville highlights the fact that even EMTs, uh, their job is a dangerous one, and they're put into uh, positions of danger quite often. And I, I guess... That impact isn't truly known until we get a tragedy, tragedy like what happened in Burnsville. So, Adam, you're you're absolutely right that um, oftentimes we take for granted the different public safety services and really even healthcare services in general yeah. um, that you know that that we utilize as Minnesotans or as Americans on a daily basis, and and certainly you know it is a field which is. 
um, filled with uh, different types of risks, just as uh, you know most professions are. But everything from uh, back injuries, from lifting and moving patients to infectious disease and to traffic crashes. And, um, you know, un- unfortunately, in, in some instances, um, assaults um, that are taken in the line of duty. And I was reminded, I guess I didn't, I, I, I should have been, but I wasn't aware of this. We talked to former uh, St. Paul Police Chief Todd Axtell yesterday, and he mentioned that certain EMTs and firefighters, like uh, the, the one um, who was killed, uh, Adam, who was killed on Sunday, actually had special training for that particular role. Can you explain that, how some EMTs are specifically trained to be like in a SWAT response? Uh, certainly. Uh, so oftentimes uh, these may be referred to as uh, uh, tactical EMS providers or tactical paramedics for short. And, you know, these individuals are uh, receive additional training to be able to operate in higher risk environments. Um, and, you know, we, we take um, all the training as we can as individual EMTs and paramedics uh, to try to, you know, ensure that we're able to do our jobs as safely as we can uh, in, you know, serving the public and, 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 and the, the betterment of others. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, there are uh, circumstances where even the best training, um, you know, can't anticipate. Can you tell, talk to me about uh, the, the preparations and the training that EMTs go uh, to deal with, uh, whether it's a patient or a, a circumstance that they go into where there may be violence? What kind of training they get to, in addition to their own medical training, to deal with those certain circumstances? So uh, a brand new EMT or, uh, or a, uh, a paramedic undergoes um, anywhere from uh, an EMT 188-hour uh, course to a, a paramedic completing over uh, 1,000 hours, uh, typically equivalent to that of an associate's degree. And in addition to learning all about medicine and learning about um, you know, different treatments and, 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 and things of that nature, um, are, are also trained uh, in, you know, situational awareness and working to, you know, uh, manage conditions um, in standard responses and, and uh, to look for signs of danger. Um, ultimately, uh, though, there are uh, EMS is a very dynamic environment uh, with uh, circumstances that can, you know, change frequently. Um, and that's why, you know, providers regularly undergo continuing education uh, in addition to, you know, different training uh, that uh, individual department and agencies, uh, you know, really focus on things that are going on within their communities. We're talking to Dylan Ferguson, who's executive director of the Emergency Medical Services Regulatory Board for the state of Minnesota. And this article pointed out, the article, Dylan, that you're quoted in here from uh, Jeremy Olson, uh, comments about a 2022 survey of medics from just Hennepin County alone uh, saying that 87% had reported being affected by violence, 78% reported that they'd been assaulted by patients. Is this something that's getting worse or has this always kind of been part of the job as an EMT? So I think that that's an interesting question. And just to clarify, uh, that was not our survey, but rather that was a survey that was done by the Hennepin uh, County Paramedics Union. Um, And it's a case where 
I, I think we're getting to a point where EMS practitioners are feeling more empowered to actually speak up about these issues that they're facing on the job. Um, so it's a, it's a situation where I it has long, I think it has been a, a longstanding issue across the country. Um, however, I think we're, we're getting better at talking about it and, and not just recognizing that, oh, this is uh, just part of a job, part of the job, but rather as professionals um, standing up and saying, you know, this is not okay. Right. And it is, uh, you know, through those additional discussions that are leading surveys like that uh, to bring, you know, uh, a high level of, of importance. Uh, and focus uh, to this important issue. Is this still a job that many people uh, are seeking out? Because, you know, we've seen the stories about uh, police, the dropping numbers of people applying to be police officers. EMTs, do we still see a a large group of people still go through the training and wanting to do this kind of work? Certainly, we, we always need more good men and women in the field of emergency medical services. But I will highlight that despite the challenges that these dedicated professionals across Minnesota, you know, face, they still suit up every day in the service of others. And, you know, as an EMS provider myself of over 20 years, um, you know, many of us still find the calling of that service rewarding um, and being able to experience different things, everything from welcoming a new life into the world with a field delivery uh, to, you know, being a, a caring and sympathetic voice while treating someone on what may be the worst day of their life and being able to make that difference. And it's really, you know, those positive moments um, are really what drive uh, public safety professionals across our state and, um, you know, at looking to uh, recruit additional EMTs and, and paramedics um, to work alongside of us. And today and in the days to come, that entire EMS community stands shoulder to shoulder with the city of Burnsville and the families of firefighter paramedic Fisneth, Officer Rouge, and Officer Elmstrand. And we're ready to support them however we can. You raise such a good point about how uh, that profession is getting better at recognizing uh, the troubles of the job and the mental impact, the mental toll it takes that is something that's relatively new to not only EMTs, I think, but police and fire in addressing just the stresses of the job and the long-term effects it has on people. Can you comment on that more about how better we are at recognizing those stresses and making sure that those people get the help they need when they're not on the job? I would absolutely love to. So you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it's very much of a it's very much a culture shift, and in, in my opinion, one that's uh, needed to occur for many many years. And you know, at a state level, um, you know, there have been multiple legislative bills that have been heard and passed in the last several years, looking to better support first responder mental health, uh, such as the Hometown Heroes Program, and um, really as an industry, have done better of you know trying to remove that stigma and trying to encourage um, individuals uh, to talk about these challenges. But I also think it's important to realize that we all have a role to play in supporting our first responder communities uh, who support us uh, and their mental health. Oftentimes, a simple recognition or uh, even a thank you uh, can really go a long ways uh, towards recognizing 
and supporting our public safety professionals of all disciplines. Very good stuff. Thank you so much, Dylan, for taking the time today to speak with us. We appreciate it. And, uh, again, uh, hope it's under better circumstances in the future. But thank you so much in getting that critical information out there about, uh, about EMTs and the service they do. Thank you, Adam. Dylan Ferguson, Executive Director, Emergency Medical Services with the State Regulatory Board. 1046 on CCO. 1050 is your Lindis Construction time check. Time to get 50% off installation labor on Infinity from Marvin Windows. My thanks to uh, Dylan Ferguson to talk about, highlight the dangers that EMTs face. Obviously, they're also first responders. And tragically, sometimes they get caught in the line of fire as what happened in Burnsville. And we uh, certainly want to remember the memory of Adam Finseth uh, at the Burnsville Fire Department along with those police officers who lost their lives tragically. And it was a good reminder on the dangers there and the importance of getting those folks the help they need when they're not on the job or after they get done uh, working, even in a retirement. The the stresses of that job and what they've seen is something that they need to deal with. Uh, We're not done talking about uh, the tragic events of Sunday coming up after the news at the top of the hour. Steve Gibbs will join us. He is principal of Cambridge Isandy High School. Uh, that is where Paul Elmstrand went to high school, graduated in 2015 before he became a police officer for Burnsville. And tragically, Paul uh, lost his life on Sunday morning as well. Steve knew Paul, and uh, we'll, we'll get some memories uh, about Paul Elmstrand and get to the bottom of what kind of guy he was because uh, lots of praise coming from the Cambridge Isanti area and lots of broken hearts up there as well. I like to pride myself on the fact that uh, outdoorsman Dave fishermen hunters yeah you can guess the weight of fish now is that what we're doing well that's it you know what <laughs> it's right along those lines but i like to i take pride in the fact that by and large mm-hmm. outdoorsmen outdoors women people who enjoy the outdoors i think are an ethical bunch mm. yeah they are stewards of the land that they use stewards of the waters that they fish upon and I think they do a tremendous job, whether it's here in Minnesota or anywhere else, of policing themselves and others, making sure limits are followed, making sure uh, slot limits are, are, about, are adhered to. So stories like this one really bug me. You remember the story, was it two years ago, the two guys that were in that walleye tournament? I think it was in Ohio. It was on Lake Erie. And they won this tournament. And they remember the video? They cut those walleyes open right on scene, yeah. and they had big lead balls. We got weights in the Yes. Fish. They're, like, yelling about it. Yeah, yeah and those great. guys were charged with, like, felony theft, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a, a, sto- a kind of a similar story out of Kansas where the state crappie record, they thought it was broken, but now it's been rejected because of weights again. Wow. Uh, the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks released a statement to news that a white crappie, which was deemed to be a state record, was found to have metal inside of it, voiding its status as the heaviest catch in state history. The white crappie was caught by Bobby Parkhurst in March of last year. Officials declare that that fish broke the 59-year-old state record for white crappie. The fish weighed 4.07 pounds. That's a big crappie. On scales, Get this, 18 inches long. Whoa. 14 inches of girth. That is a big crappie. Uh, As a fisheries biologist, we get the chance to see a lot of big fish, but this one is certainly for the books. 
Uh, John Renke, Assistant Director of Fisheries for uh, Kansas Department of Wildlife, said at the time, the previous record was set in 1964 with the crappie weighing 4.02 inches and 17.5 inches long. Parker's catch was removed from the record list in November. At the time of the publication, the 64 catch listed as the record holder. But upon further review, the crappie caught by Parkhurst could not be confirmed. Therefore, the previous record for Kansas's large crappie still stands. Game wardens took the fish uh, from Parkhurst's home under a search warrant after they said Parkhurst had not properly filled out his application for the record. The fish appeared normal and healthy, and it was accurately identified by staff. However, had the application been filled out accurately by the angler, it would have not qualified as a state record. I did the whole way they wanted to do it, Parker said, noting that he didn't think he had a record when he caught the fish, but was encouraged by his family and friends to submit it. I thought the procedures I wrote down, I thought I everything, did everything by the books. On Friday, authorities provided information as to why the new crappie was disqualified. A witness tipped off the department that the initial weight of the fish was only 3.73 pounds. To preserve any integrity of the state program, game wardens met with the fisherman who voluntarily presented his fish for reexamination. When the staff used a handheld metal detector to scan the fish, the device detected the presence of metal. The fish was then taken to a local zoo where an x-ray revealed two steel ball bearings in the fish's stomach. Is nothing sacred anymore, people. I mean, that's a big crappie. Three points out, take that. And just to just to get the state record, he's putting balls in the crappie. The nerve. Giving all anglers a bad name. How often do you do that? How often do you, like, you know, put some metal in the fish to What's, get the scale a little I higher? have no point. To do the no point. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Again, we, we police ourselves. Is there, I mean, is there a... Money attached to that, or fame, or notoriety? Like, why would you do that? Yeah, I don't know. Well, state record. I mean, obviously, yeah. you're, you you get the state record, and that's. I don't know if there's any monetary benefit from it. I mean, your fish gets added to the lore of uh, the state of Kansas, I guess. But it's still a big crappie. You're gonna mount that. The guy should get an award. What a moron! <laughs> Someone texts him. They should. T- I want to know who the witness was. Who turned him in? Yeah, because somebody must have known. Somebody knew. That's it, man. Like, and I guess this is a perfect example of, again, what I just said. We police ourselves in the angling community. Uh, so bravo to the person who turned that person in. Do you think he said, like, his family encouraged him to? Do you think that means, like, him and his brothers were like, hey, you should die. Uh, here, here. Yeah. Let's get that weight up a little bit. I got a couple of balls. Oh, yeah, a couple of steel balls. Yeah. <laughs> like, jeez. <laughs> Come on, people. We're better than that. Uh, 10.57, coming up uh, after the news, Steve Gibbs, principal of Cambridge Isanti High School, remembering Paul Elmstrand, one of the Burnsville officers shot and killed on Sunday. We'll talk to Steve after the news. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.